So last week we talked about the four different types of love. We talked about filio as a brotherly type of love. It's friendship. It's shared goodwill, companionship. These are very simple and abbreviated uh, definitions. Eros is obviously the passionate love, the romantic love between a man and a woman. We talked about storge, which is the natural affection or obligation, uh, fond of, as in family and even in the pet. It can even fall into that. You know, some people almost treat their dog better than their family. And, uh, and so they, that can even fall into that area because it's a worldly love based in feeling. You know, the way I feel about Julie is different than the way I feel about Brother Kurt, I said last week. The way I feel towards my parents is different than the way I feel about Brother Kurt. But it's a love for my wife, it's a love for my friend, and it's a love for my parents, my family. And how many of you can distinguish and delineate between those three different types of loves? They are different, aren't they? They're three very distinctly different feelings that we get. But the love of God is, is even more different. And the word agape is defined very differently. It's the God kind of love that can only come from a born-again believer's heart, where we esteem, value, and prize the object of it, and it's the noblest of all loves, and it comes from God. It's not based in merit, and it delights in giving. It's unconditional without any response and desires only good for the other person. There's no merit. It's unconditional. It's love without... uh, It produces great feeling, But sometimes it's loving in spite of negative feelings being directed at us. Can you all understand that this morning? So it's a love regardless of how. It's it's when your kids are treating you uh, wrong and you choose to love them and treat them right. And sometimes, you know, that means spanking them with the rod. And you love them and there's nothing fun about that kind of love. How many of you know there's nothing fun about that? And nobody likes doing it, but it's necessary and so it's a, it's a love that has self-interest and the other's interest at heart. Now today, turn with me to Matthew 22, verses 36 through 34. We're going to look at the two commandments that the whole of the law hangs upon. And Jesus was answering a question, and uh, this person said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? In verse 36, we're in Matthew 22, verse 36. If you're turning there, Matthew 22, verse 36. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And this is the first and great commandment. Every, if, if you don't love God, you, why bother loving other people? That's why we choose to walk in God's love. God is, is the centrality. If you don't get loving God right, you can't get anything else in its proper order after that. And so everything emanates for our love towards God. That's why we love one another the way we're called to love one another. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like unto it, if thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What does that mean? We're going to talk about that. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now turn with me quickly to James 2 and verse 8. And we're going to see how that is reiterated throughout even the epistles not only did Jesus say that, but this is also uh, spoken of in the epistles and alluded to as, a, a, as something that everybody would know, almost like common knowledge among Christians, that you should know this. Because look how it alludes to the love walk in uh, James chapter 2, verse 8. If you fulfill the royal law, wow, the, royal, the law of love is called the royal law. 
If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You do well. Everybody say, that's the royal law. And the royal one is God. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the prince of life. And so the royal law that emanates down from the royalty that is over us, God, is the law of love. Because it's, it's directed towards God. It's how we live our life before God. The first four commandments are towards God. The last six commandments are towards our brothers and sisters. And that's how we live in relationship to them. And the Bible says that the law of love, Romans 9.13, is to know, owe, owe no man anything. And when we walk in love, it says that love fulfills all the law, all the commandments. It fulfills it. When we walk in love towards God, we won't have idols. Uh, and, and we won't serve false gods. And we'll have no other God before him. If we love God, we will follow those laws. If we love man, we'll follow those laws. We'll not uh, commit adultery, we'll not steal, we'll not covet another man's goods or his wife or things like that. And so love fulfills all the law. And love thy neighbor as thyself. And the key thing that we've got to understand is that word love is what always has to be identified. Because in another place, in 2 Timothy 3.1, it says that men will be lovers of their own selves. And it says they'll be unthankful. They'll be unholy. They'll love pleasures more than they love God. Well, you think, well, okay, God says we've got to love others and as we love ourselves, so that must mean we're supposed to love ourselves. But then, in 2 Timothy, it talks about people who are lovers of themselves, and, and it goes along this list about how wicked and perilous times will come and the, how wicked these people are, and it, all, and it starts out by love of self. That's how the list starts out, is that they love themselves. Well, the way that we find out and how we distinguish that is we look up what the Greek word for love is. And we see in Matthew twenty two thirty nine. That we're to love others as we love ourselves is this. We're to agape others as we agape ourselves. In that other scripture, and you, we can turn, well, let's just turn there. You might as well look at it. You might as well get familiar. That's 2 Timothy 3.1. Look what it says. And we'll turn there. We can see that there's quite a list of the perilous times, uh, lack of character or uh, evil character that begins to creep in. And it says, and know this. Or this know, 2 Timothy 3.1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. That's at the top of the list. And what that tells me is all these other things emanate from this sick, narcissistic type of love. And when you look in the Bible, in the Greek New Testament, what you'll find out is this word for love is philatos. Philatos. Phil is where we get the word uh, Phileo, love, philio, and, you know, where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And that is the type of love that is natural and just has affection. And then autos is the same prefix or root, I should say, for the term autobiography. In other words, it's about self. And so it is this self-love that produces these type of fruits. Lovers of own, their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers 
of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. And now don't think this is inside, inside the church because it says having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. They have a form of godliness. Oh, they're very religious. But everything's on their terms. Everything's got to be their way. All, life has to revolve around them. Did you know that is the root? Selfishness is the granddaddy of all sin. Self-love in this perverted context, everything's about me, which the culture celebrates that today. Everything's about me gives rise to all these other forms of wickedness. It is the root of all of it. Just like self-love in the agape sense is the root of all righteousness. So when you have a perverted self-love of narcissism and everything is about you, it gives way to every wicked way of life. But if you have the self-love that you do what's good for you, which might be, if you could possibly do it, give yourself a good swift kick in the rear end. How many of you have to give yourself kind of a kick in the rear end? And you have to re rebuke yourself, and you have to correct yourself. You have to put your flesh under. You have to tell your mind no. You have to say, I'm not going to act that way. I'm gonna... Because you do that because you have true self-love. Did you know you get saved because of self-love? Do you know, how many of you know, it's good for you to get saved? It's not good for you to hate God and go to hell. So when you choose to serve God, be obedient, make Jesus Lord, get saved, and go to heaven, you did that out of a proper form of self-agape, when you agape yourself. Now, let me give you an analogy, the difference between healthy self-agape love and worldly auto-self-love. Imagine yourself with two others. And you have found yourself on a desert island far away from anything that could remotely even resemble food. And you've got three MREs left. That's the military meals that come in a package. There's three MREs left. And self-interest would think this and say this to oneself. Well, there's one for the other two and one for me. And I want to make sure the others have theirs, but I also want to make sure that it's equal. And I'm concerned with everybody getting one of the meals because there's three of us and there's three MREs, uh, military, you know, meal ready to eat. And there's three of them. And I want to make sure we all get one because I'm concerned about them, but I'm also concerned about me. Everybody say that's self-interest that you get one too. Let me tell you what, let me show you what selfishness is. Selfishness is that that person would plot and scheme how he might be able to get all three of those meals for himself to last over a long period of time at the expense of the other two's having them. How many of you have ever met a selfish person? I think all of us have met selfish people. Self-interest is I want everybody to have one meal. Selfish is I'm going to try to work it out so I can trick them out of it and get all three of the meals and at the expense of others. That's selfishness. Selfishness is evil and it's satanic. And let's go to Galatians, the fifth chapter, verses 14 through 21. We're going to look at the fruits or the works of selfishness because your flesh is selfish. And these are the works. This is the fruit, if you can, spoiled fruit, maybe we should say, of the works of the flesh. The flesh is totally selfish. It is totally filled with autos love, self-love. It's totally uh, the manifestation of what we just read there in 2 Timothy. 
And I'm going to read there, and we're going to look at the difference between self-interest and self, uh, selfish uh, auto-love. So we're going to look first at selfish love. And it says, this I say, uh, for the flesh, verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another. Self-interest and selfishness are contrary. So that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are adultery. That's selfishness, fornication, selfishness, uncleanness, selfishness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. All these things have an element of selfishness to them. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like, which I tell you before, I have also told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's go to 22. That's selfishness. All those things come from a selfish spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is love. Well, how many of you want to be loved? And how many of you want to love others? That's self-interest. It, how many of you say it's nice to be loved? Joy. How many of you want joy for yourself? But joy is good for you. You're supposed to have joy. That's how God created us to be. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So we know that we're supposed to have joy. Well, I'm just a dirty old sinner. I, don't need, I just need to be miserable and live down here on barely get along street right next to Grumble Alley, and I don't want to have anything in life. No, no, no. There is a self-interest. God wants you to have love. He wants you to feel loved. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to be able to endure difficult things over long periods of time. He wants you to have and experience gentleness. He wants you to have and experience goodness. He wants you to have faith and meekness and temperance and all these things against there. How many of you want to have those things? Well, is that being selfish that I should know you? That is self-interest. God wants you to be saved. He wants you to feel loved. He wants you to have a joyful life. He wants you to be invincible with long-suffering, no matter what comes your way, that you can stay filled with joy even in the most difficult times. He wants you to have these things because these things are based in self-interest. These other things that we read, murders, drunkenness, lasciviousness, fornication, adultery, uh, all these different things, sedition, strife, wrath, all these things are attempt to get your way because you think getting your way is going to make you happy. You think that selfishness is the way to go, but it's exactly the opposite. It only produces more and more unhappiness. And every spouse is saying, I wish I could just tell myself, that's why you should quit being so selfish. No. How many of you know, when you first get married, the other one always thinks the other one is a selfish one. And the reality of it is, you're both selfish when you get married. You're just discovering your selfishness and their selfishness for the first time. And that's why God lets us get married, to, to work all the selfishness out of us. Somebody say amen. We get to practice on one another before we go to heaven, so we'll be nice to God. Hopefully, we'll get all the selfishness out of each other before we have to go live with God for eternity. Because he doesn't want that selfishness in heaven to corrupt that place. Somebody say amen. amen. Selfishness is like a sick disease. Well, if they don't care, then why should I care? Well, if he's going to do his own thing, I'm going to do my own thing. 
Well, if you're going to be selfish, then I'm going to be selfish. If you're not going to give, why should I give back to you? How many of you know selfishness is contagious? It's an ugly, sick disease. How many of you know unselfishness can spread too? How many of you know an unselfish attitude, a giving, loving attitude uh, can make your home a better place and it can begin to grow and flourish in that unselfishness? Amen. Amen. And so we've, we've got to understand that self-interest is a good thing. Where does selfishness come from? It comes from Lucifer. Turn with me to Isaiah, which we've looked at this verse so many times, I know it makes your head spin, but it is so filled with revelation. And it says here, how Lucifer, how art thou fallen from heaven? O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend, self-ascension, self-promotion. I'm going to climb that ladder, baby, and you better get out of my way. I might use your face to step on as I'm climbing that ladder. How many of you know there's a lot of that attitude out there? In the leadership world, in the hyper-leadership uh, world, uh, there's, there's a lot of wrong things being portrayed and communicated. And then now look here, look what it says. <clears throat> How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? And it says, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, and I will exalt my throne. How many of you know there's a lot of self-exaltation today? Tooting your own horn. I'm going to brand myself. I'm going to remake myself. I'm going to be somebody, you know, exalting yourself. You know, I've seen some Facebook posts that it's like, it, it, that, like that's all it is. It's like, look, oh, look how great we have it, how great we are, and how, you know, and, and it's almost like, where's the, excuse me, humility and serving others in that? So we have to be careful not to become like that because self-ascension is Luciferian. Self-exalting is Luciferian. And I will <clears throat> exalt my throne above the stars. I'm going to be above everybody else. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation. And look what it says. I will sit. That's self-assertion, self-assertiveness. How many of you know that today we teach self-assertiveness? Get your way. Get out there. Don't let them get it. You get it. Get your way. You be assertive. You push everybody else out of the way. You assert yourself. That's Luciferian. Make no mistake. And then it goes, I will sit upon the mount of the congregation on the sides of the north. I will ascend. There's that self-ascension again. Above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the north. A lot of self, that's self-love. Who is Lucifer doing that for? No one other than himself. So we have to beware of this self-love. Turn with me to Philippians 3, verses 4 and 5. We're going to look at some things that are the absolute antithesis of that. Jesus said, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Jesus was the epitome of, of complete submission to God, complete humility before God, completely laying down his life, for others. Paul talks about that, and he says that we should take on that same mindset. Philippians 3, verses 4 and 5. It says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Wow, is that different? Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Verse 20. One, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Do you seek your own? 
Do you seek your own schedule over the schedule that Jesus Christ has for you? Do you seek your own, how you'll spend the money versus where the Lord would have you to sow it? Do we seek our own as to what we feel like doing instead of what God commands us to do? Do we seek our own in our time management and how much we give to God versus how much we give to our pleasures, to our agenda, to our advancement, to our going up the ladder in life? Which are you seeking? Do you seek your own in these things or do you seek that which is Jesus Christ's? So you have to die to self. You have to crucify the flesh. You have to mortify the deeds of the body. You've got to say like Paul, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives within me. But I am crucified in Christ. See, that's what real love is. Everybody say, that's what real love is. You say, well, I didn't know you were going to go here, Pastor Bill. Well, this is what the Bible teaches us. Jesus, it says, how he made himself of no reputation, go on down to verse 7, but he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him. Oh, phew, praise God, there's a good part to this. And we always preach the discipline, but we, all, we also need to always preach. Private disciplines produce public rewards. Everybody say that. Private disciplines produce public rewards. You know, you remember over there last week where we were talking about Matthew 6 where Jesus said, if you'll pray, uh, you know, in secret, your Father will reward you openly in public. If you'll give your alms in secret, your Father will reward you openly in public. If you'll do your fasting quietly and secretively, and that's a singular fast, not a corporate fast, and then your Father will reward you openly in public. Jesus, back in the dark alleys as they beat him, as they drug him, as they crucified him in the garbage heap of the city in the dark and ugly places of society with the dark, ugly attitudes of the soldiers, the darkest side of life, and then go down to the center of the earth for three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, even as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, as he had a spear in his side and thorns in his head and nails in his hands and feet, and all these beatings and the, and the shredded back and the hatred of mankind and the rejection of society, the false accusation of the judiciary, and all these things, the darkest place he could go, he's exalted above every single thing. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So how many of you know it pays to walk in love? It pays to be selfless. It pays to be willing to lose your life in order to gain it. And so when we understand these things, we begin to understand what love really is. You know, I don't care if it's getting saved, it's for self-interest. Caring for others and giving, give, oh, that sounds hard. And it shall be given, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will men give back unto you. Oh, that sounds pretty good, I guess. So whether it's, you know, laying down our life and being saved, getting saved, whether it's caring for others, living right, well, I don't want to live like it's a lot. Well, they that are willing and obedient will eat of the good of the land, it says in Isaiah 119. Love pays great dividends. Walking in love will make your life blessed. Walking in love will cause more good things to come your way than all the selfish endeavors that you can ever stack up in your lifetime. Give your Jesus said, he that tries to gain his life will lose it. But he that's willing to lose his life will gain it. Because when you lose your life, that means giving it away through this expression, this thing that we call agape love. 
And when we do that, great things can begin to happen. Somebody say amen. amen. Now let's go on. So number one, uh, we've got to understand proper love towards ourselves. We've got to look at ourselves and say, is this a selfish, self-centered love, or is this self-interest? Okay, let's go on to loving God. So the Bible says, love others as yourself. So we hit that one first, even though in the commandment, the greater commandment is loving God. He gives two commandments, love the Lord thy God with all thy strength, all thy heart, and with all thy mind. And then the second one is love thy neighbor as thyself. Upon these two commandments hangs all the law of the prophets. And so when we understand that, we've talked about loving ourselves properly, self-interest, which really means if you'll love other people, that's the greatest self-interest you can ever have. How many know putting others first is self-interest? Because when you love others, God will love you. When you give to others, God will give back to you. When you live right before others, God will cause you to eat of the good of the land. So self-interest is really loving others and putting others first. Selfishness will put self first and will end up in the pit. Okay, so let's look at loving God. Turn with me to 1 John 4.14. We're going to look at another place how it talks about how we are to love God. Do you know most people don't know how to love God? They think that a little selfish prayer and a little time of thinking that they like God and they have good feelings towards God, they think that's loving God. Let me tell you something, that, that, is, that is a form of self-deception. Loving God is demonstrated through actions. Turn to your neighbor and say, loving God is not a feeling. It's an obedience. Hereby we do know that we love him if we keep his commandments. It says that in John, but we're going to look at 1 John 4 and 14. And the Bible says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And I think I have the wrong verse there. I mean, first, it's 419. We love him because he first loved us. Okay, this is what I wanted to start out with. I mistranscribed that. We love him because he first loved us. Do you know we can't love without his love towards us? How many of you know we're hopelessly lost, hopelessly selfish, and hopelessly damned before Jesus came and saved us? And we're hopelessly selfish, and we can never walk in love until we get born again. Remember we talked about we love by nature? How many of you know person uh, who has not had a changed nature, they naturally gravitate towards the things. Of the world. How many of you know cats meow because they're cats? How many of you know dogs bark because they're, do they're dogs? Cows moo, horses whinny, and it's all because of their nature. You can't teach a horse to moo, no matter what you do. We talked and we used the analogy of a hunting dog. You can take a German shepherd. He's trained to be a dog that protects. He's a guard dog. He's an attack dog. He has certain attributes that are bred into him through his DNA, and the pups are born into this DNA, and they can't help but be that way. And then you, if you want to have a dog become a hunting dog that will go out into a field, and when it sees a pheasant, it will point, and it'll pick up its leg, and it'll just be absolutely like a statue. How many of you know you can't teach them into that? They have to be birthed into that. Last week we talked about we have to be birthed into being able to walk in love. Because 
If you're lost, your heart is different. And until you're born again, you cannot walk in love. And I believe this. God teaches us, and he puts into us a love nature when we're born again. And it says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts when we're born again. So he first loved us, and uh, that's why he loved him. You know, I I didn't get saved for any noble reason. I got saved because I just wanted to not go to hell. Anybody else have any more noble cause than that for getting saved? I didn't want to, I didn't get saved, so I, 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 this certainly never went through my mind. I'm going to get saved so I can learn to lay down my life for others and love others. When I first got saved, that was the first thing from my mind. The only reason I got saved is I didn't want to go to hell. But how many of you know, if you grow up in God, you realize that getting saved gives you the opportunity to love others the way God has loved you. We, he first loved us so that we can love him and love other people. We can't love other people until we know that we're loved by God and we have a change in our nature and we become, uh, you know, the same type of person that has the same type of nature that Jesus was. All right. Mothers care for their babies, and one day the baby will grow up and take care of their elderly mother. But a baby is not capable of taking care of its mother when it's first born. Can I get an amen? You know, a, a baby is born and is very dependent upon its mother. And it's very dependent upon that care and that nurturing and raising up. And that baby is completely narcissistic and totally selfish. And that baby, it's all right for them to be selfish. It's all right for them to have needs. It's all right for somebody else to direct all the love and care towards them. And they don't have to reciprocate and give any care and love back because everybody knows they're not mature enough to do that yet. That's who we are when we first get saved. Paul rebuked the Corinthians for being carnal. And then he talked to them a lot about walking in love. And he said, you're as babes and you're yet carnal. You're as mere men, one translation says. But see, over time, we got saved for self-interest and agape. But we can grow up into loving others the way God loves other people. How many of you believe that? And the same way that that mother took care of that helpless Baby, one day that mother gets 80, 90, 95 years old and maybe is fighting dementia and you have to change her diapers and you have to bathe her and, and you have to have pay somebody or take care of yourself. Or, but that old person can need as much care as that baby did. And the roles get completely reversed. And that's where you started out being loved and God loved us first that we might love him. And that baby was being loved, and we had to be loved first so that when we grow up, hopefully, we'll be mature people and love our parents and take care of them. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. And so that love starts out just self-interested. Then it grows into a greater giving type of love. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You know, David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, and bless his holy name, and forget not all of his benefits. You know, We love the Lord and we want to bless him. It says they ministered to the Lord in Acts 13. You know, some people don't really think that they can bless God. How many of you believe that you can bless God? Now, God's going to love you the same regardless, but we can learn to bless God. Bless the Lord, all my soul. And forget not all of his benefits. Now, there's that self, you know, not self-love, but but the type of love that's balanced, knowing that he's given us all of these benefits, self-interest. So God, God gives us that. 
So we can begin to love God in a way uh, that is, is more mature as we grow because we start out just wanting to be saved. <clears throat> and we will be able to love him to the degree uh, that he... We'll never be able to love him to the degree he's loved us. His is far more noble. Okay. His love is a covenant love. That's the next thing I want to talk about. It says, Christ, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It says, God commanded his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In John 15, 13, it says, no greater love than this than for a man to lay down his life for his friend. How many of you know Jesus showed the greatest love he could for us? He laid down his life for his friends. He calls us friends. And you know what? You're saying, well, how could we ever lay down our life for the Lord? Well, martyrs do. But how can we in America, in the typical average American life, how do we lay down our lives for the Lord? Did you know in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says to make our lives a living sacrifice? How many of Jesus was a living sacrifice? Turn with me to Romans, the 12th chapter. So how do we love God? God's loved us. God has saved us. God came down in the form of a man, died on the cross for us. And how are we going to love God back for loving us with such a great and perfect love? Well, I know this sounds really strange. Well, I'm just going to have this ecstatic experience where my heart just feels so full of love towards God. And I'm just going to have this feelings, 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 feelings. That's just, that's just storge. That's just phileo. That's just human. That's just feelings. Oh, but I was enraptured in his love, and, and I just spoke out my love for God. Well, that's good. We want, we want you to experience that. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches. How many of you know what the Bible teaches instead of what your flesh thinks? How many of you want what the Bible teaches instead of what your flesh feels or thinks? See, we have to know what Scripture really says. See, our love for God is different than what we think in our natural carnal minds. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. You could say, laying down your life for your brother. Jesus, your brother. No greater love than this than to lay down your life. How many of you want to lay down your life for Jesus today? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your rapturous, ecstatic, overflowing emotions for God. Oh, wait, it doesn't say that. It says, which is your reasonable service. Oh, how boring, Pastor Bill. It can't mean that. Come on, we're talking about the love of God. We're talking about loving God. We're talking about the highest thing that there is. What do you mean reasonable service? I didn't sign up for service. I signed up for a love affair with God. That's what somebody said to me after their first six months of marriage. You have to learn to serve one another. Somebody say amen. Or your marriage is going to be a hell on earth. Really? It's about serving? Ooh. You know, in heaven, they're serving God with praise and worship continuously. And if you don't like that, you aren't going to like heaven. And there's only one other place. It really stinks. 
No, it's really righteous. It's really just the way it is. And so, service. Wow. Present your, let's read that again. Present your body as a living sacrifice, holy except unto God, which is you're hanging from the cross. No, it says, which is your reasonable service. See, the way we make ourselves a sacrifice, the way we have reciprocity, the way we have covenant love with God, he laid down his life for us, we laid down our life for him. The way that we do that is through serving. I hate, I, I hate to pop your bubble and, and make it more boring than you thought it was going to be. But it's through serving. But when you serve, you'll find out how utterly profound it is. You, you will feel things through serving that you tried to feel all your life but never could. You'll have depths of love and depths of fulfillment, depths of utter completion in your, in your person that you'll have through serving that you'll never get any other way. It's really the most profound thing you'll ever do because it's giving up self for others. That is agape love. Somebody say amen this morning. It's getting way too quiet. Amen. When we begin to do that, God changes everything. When we give and, and we, we pick up our cross, you know, it says we make ourselves a living sacrifice. And in Matthew, it talks about picking up our cross. In Romans, it talks about mortifying our flesh. In Galatians, Paul said that he was crucified. It's no longer him that lives, but Christ that lives within him. Loving God is all tied up in loving other people. You, it says that God first loved us, that we might love him. And then right after that, Let's go back over to 1 John 4, 14. We're going to look at what it says, and I can just quote it. It says, and how can you love the God you can't see if you won't love the brothers that you can see? Let's look at that verse for a moment. Let's, let's, let's meditate. Let's have a Selah moment on this and see if we really are doing that. It says, perfect love. I'm just going to start in the verse before. We'll just read it. And there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. And if a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love the God whom he hath not seen? If we aren't loving other people, if we aren't laying down our life for other people, then, see, we're, we're saying that we love God, but really we're not. Because laying down your life for other people is service. Everybody say service. service. See, laying down your life for other people is service, is serving other people. It's inconvenient to serve other people. How many of you know it's inconvenient to serve other people? Very, with a capital V. It's very inconvenient to do. You have to lay down your life to do it. It will wreck your schedule every time. And twice on Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. It will ruin your schedule. It will inconvenience you. But the Bible says the love of God constrains us. It will constrain your life from all these options down to this option. That's what love will do to you. But your kids will be walking with God. Your bank account will be filled. You'll have the joy of the Lord. Your household will be in order. Things will always... Why does it always go right for them? Why are, is their family so blessed? Why do they seem to have things go their way? 
Let me tell you something. Walking in love will, will revolutionize your life. You give it all these places you can see, but you will never know or see where it's all coming from. You'll receive it from all kinds of places you can't see and you don't know about. Ways that you would never anticipate. Things that you never thought you needed and God knew you needed it long before you ever figured it out. God will take care of you if you'll take care of people. Somebody say amen. God will take care of you and your family if you'll take care of people. And you have to learn to take care of people. And so we, when we understand that, uh, our loving others, you know, 1 John, I'm going to go back, 1 John 3, 16. Hereby we perceive that the love of God because we, he laid down his life for us. Now, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Everybody say, lay down my life. That doesn't sound like fun. If he laid down his life for us, the Bible says we ought to lay down our lives for others. See, that's what the love of God is really about. And, and when we understand that, then we can see, we can see you know, where he says he loved us first so we can love others. And, and how can you say that you love your brother you know, that you can see? If you're, you know, how can you say that you love the God you can't see if you're not loving the brother you can't see? Make sure I say that right. John 14, 21. Everybody turn there quickly. We're winding this thing down. We're just about done. How many of you know this is sound doctrine? This is the stuff that will make you right on the inside. Not, not if you can you know, buy the biggest house in the state or something like that. This is the type of stuff that will get you right on the inside. Sound doctrine creates sound people. Unsound doctrine produces unsound people. This type of stuff is not easy. You have to endure sound doctrine. But you get your ears tickled with false doctrine. How many know false doctrine tickles your ears? It's, it tickles your fancy. Oh, I like that. Oh, that was so much fun hearing that. Oh, give me some more of that. Let's stack them up. Let's get a billion tapes that tell me that. Heaping up teachers after their own lusts. After their own lusts. Well, you wouldn't think that, you know, preachers... Are, after their own lusts, it says. And so that's not sound doctrine. It's unsound people listening to a bunch of unsound doctrine, creating unsound churches. Amen. All right, John 14. And I turned to the wrong one. I'm sorry. Give me a moment. John 14, 21. Look what it says. It says, He, hath, <coughs> he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. In other words, keeping his commandments is how you know you love him. Let me read it again. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. The reason why God doesn't manifest himself in a lot of people's lives is they haven't learned to really walk in the God kind of love. God will manifest himself in our lives as we walk in this kind of love. How many of you want God to manifest in your lives? Manifest through healing. Manifest through prosperity. Manifest through peace of mind. Manifest through joy. Manifest through, uh, you know, prayers answered. Manifest just through power and strength and, and all these things. 
the love of God when we start keeping his commandments. See, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, it says, If thou shalt obey to do all the commandments that are written in this book, then all these blessings shall come upon you. You shall be blessed coming in. You shall be blessed going out. And you shall be blessed in the city. You will be blessed in the country. And it goes on and on and on and on. That's if you keep all the commandments that are written in this book this day. Then all these blessings will come upon thee and overtake thee. And you'll list all these blessings. So if you, do right, if you kept the law... All the blessings come on. And if thou hearkens not to the voice of the Lord thy God to keep these commandments, all these curses shall come upon you. You shall be cursed in the city. You shall be blessed. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. So if you kept the commandments, you got blessed. If you didn't keep the commandments, you got cursed. In the New Testament, we don't walk by performance-based or law-based. We walk by nature-based. I'm not into performance-based salvation. I'm not into performance-based blessings. I'm into nature-based. Because the Bible says, if you walk in love, you automatically keep all the laws. You're accidentally fulfilling Deuteronomy 28 without trying. Because you're just living out of your nature. And you've got a love nature because you're a love child born not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible seed even as the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. You're a love child born with corruptible seed and you've got a new divine nature and you're a divine love child of a love God who has a love nature that passes love nature down to you when you got born again. So now I've got a love nature and love doesn't allow me to want to commit fornication or adultery. Love makes me so I don't want to kill people. I don't want to steal from people. I don't want to do those things. I'm just living out of my nature, not a performance mentality. Can I get an amen? We're just living out of our nature. Uh, if you've got the nature, you don't have to try like a cow, try to winnie. You just automatically moo. If you're a dog, you don't have to try to bark. You just automatically bark. If you're a real Christian, you don't have to try so hard to love. You just walk out of your nature. You just naturally love people and fulfill the law and get blessed. Somebody say amen. It's not performance-based. It's nature-based living. The new nature, the love nature, the born again, having the love of God shed abroad in our heart. We know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. We start living, we start keeping these commandments just by chasing after God. Walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If you'll just walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5.16, it says walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's not performance-based. That's just accidentally living out of your nature because you can't help but do it. Somebody say amen. amen. You just got a new nature. You don't want to live like that, so you don't live like that. Your ugly old flesh, you got to keep putting that monster down. But you don't want to live like that. You may slip up once in a while. You may get caught up once in a while. But you got a nature. And if you don't have that nature, brother and sister, you need to come down to this altar right now and get saved. If you find yourself constantly going against the word, constantly living in sin, and not being bothered by it, and actually liking it, you're not saved. Newsflash. You're not saved. You need to get saved and get a new nature that wants to do right. Somebody say amen. amen. So, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. What are his commandments? To walk in love. He's got two new commandments. To love the Lord thy God with all thy strength and all thy heart, with all thy mind. To love thy neighbor as thyself. 
If you'll do that, you don't have to worry about the Ten Commandments. I mean, they're there, they're good. They're like signposts that tell you you're on the right track. But you don't need those. You primarily need to just learn to walk in love. And when you walk in love, then you'll start seeing these things manifest. What are some ways that you know you're not saved? And you know you're not walking in love. Second, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. We're going to close on this quickly. 2 John, here we go. Going back to 1 John. There's just so much in those verses. It's just 1 John 2, excuse me. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you love the world today? Do you love your job, your boss, your money, your house, your car, your things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life? You love your ego. You love how smart you are. You love how uh, you know, successful you are and prestigious a job you have. Do you love that more than God? This is how you know you don't have the love of the Father in you. It says, he that loves the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's how you know you're not saved. Here's another in Matthew 6, 24. I won't even turn there. It says, love not mammon. You'll either love the one. You can't love God and mammon. You'll either love the one and you'll hate the other. Do you love and trust in money more than you do God? Does, does money guide your decisions? Does Lord Mammon determine your schedule or God? Does your job dictate your life to you or does God? Because your job is your money source. Are you trusting that? Now we all have to work. I understand that. I, I'm saying we all need to have our jobs. We all need to work. We all need to be good employees. Sometimes you're going to have to miss church. But some people, it doesn't even enter their mind that anything would, would come near Lord Mammon where I make my money. It, it, it's the end all Schedule all, determine all, is all, final word on everything. How many of you know that's not right? That's not right. And then John 12, 26, if you love your life, you'll lose it. Do you love your life? Do you love your money? Do you love the things of the world? These are indicators that you don't have the love of God in you. You have the love of self in you. You're not saved. You see... When you love God, you will love others. And you will give yourself and you'll serve others. If you love the world, you'll follow after those things. But praise God, we have the love of God in us today. Can I get an amen?